only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 21 of Rainbow Valley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rainbow Valley by L. M. Montgomery. Chapter 21. The Impossible Word. John Meredith walked meditatively through the clear crispness of a winter night in Rainbow Valley. The hills beyond glistened with the chill, splendid luster of moonlight on snow. Every little fir tree in the long valley sang its own wild song to the harp of wind and frost. Hill's children and the blithe lads and lasses were coasting down the eastern slope and whizzing over the glassy pond. They were having a glorious time, and their gay voices and gayer laughter echoed up and down the valley, dying away in elfin cadences among the trees. On the right, the lights of Ingleside gleamed through the maple grove with the genial lure and invitation which seems always to glow in the beacons of a home where we know there is love and good cheer and a welcome for all kin, whether of flesh or spirit. Mr. Meredith liked very well on occasion to spend an evening arguing with the doctor by the driftwood fire, where the famous china dogs of Ingleside kept ceaseless watch and ward, as became deities of the hearth. But tonight he did not look that way. Far on the western hill gleamed a paler but more alluring star. Mr. Meredith was on his way to see Rosemary West, and he meant to tell her something which had been slowly blossoming in his heart since their first meeting, and had sprang into full flower on the evening when Faith had so warmly voiced her admiration for Rosemary. He had come to realize that he had learned to care for Rosemary. Not as he had cared for Cecilia, of course. That was entirely different. That love of romance and dream and glamour could never, he thought, return. But Rosemary was beautiful and sweet and dear, very dear. She was the best of companions. He was happier in her company than he had ever expected to be again. She would be an ideal mistress for his home a good mother to his children. During the years of his widowhood, Mr. Meredith had received innumerable hints from brother members of presbytery and from many parishioners who could not be suspected of any ulterior motive, as well as from some who could, that he ought to marry again. But these hints never made any impression on him. It was commonly thought that he was never aware of them. But he was quite acutely aware of them. And in his own occasional visitations of common sense, he knew that the common sensible thing for him to do was to marry. But common sense was not the strong point of John Meredith, and to choose out, deliberately and cold-bloodedly, some suitable woman, as one might choose a housekeeper or a business partner, was something he was quite incapable of doing. How he hated that word, suitable. It reminded him so strongly of James Perry. A suitable woman of suitable age, that unctuous brother of the cloth had said in his far-from-subtle hint. 
For the moment, John Meredith had a perfectly unbelievable desire to rush madly away and propose marriage to the youngest, most unsuitable woman it was possible to discover. Mrs. Marshall Elliot was his good friend, and he liked her. But when she had bluntly told him he should marry again, he felt as if she had torn away the veil that hung before some sacred shine of his innermost life, and he had been more or less afraid of her ever since. He knew there were women in his congregation of suitable age, who would marry him quite readily. That fact had seeped through all his abstraction very early in his ministry in Glen St. Mary. They were good, substantial, uninteresting women, one or two fairly comely, the others not exactly so, and John Meredith would as soon have thought of marrying any one of them as of hanging himself. He had some ideals to which no seeming necessity could make him false. He could ask no woman to fill Cecilia's place in his home, unless he could offer her at least some of the affection and homage he had given to his girlish bride. And where, in his limited feminine acquaintance, was such a woman to be found? Rosemary West had come into his life on that autumn evening, bringing with her an atmosphere in which his spirit recognized native air. Across the gulf of strangerhood they clasped hands of friendship. He knew her better in that ten minutes by the hidden spring than he knew Emmeline Drew, or Elizabeth Kirk, or Amy Annetta Douglas in a year, or could know them in a century. He had fled to her for comfort when Mrs. Alec Davis had outraged his mind and soul and had found it. Since then he had gone off into the house on the hill, slipping through the shadowy paths of night in Rainbow Valley so astutely that Glen Gossip could never be absolutely certain that he did go to see Rosemary West. Once or twice he had been caught in the West living room by other visitors. That was all the lady's aid had to go by. But when Elizabeth Kirk heard it, she put away a secret hope she had allowed herself to cherish, without a change of expression on her kind, plain face. And Emmeline Drew resolved that the next time she saw a certain old bachelor of Lowbridge, she would not snub him as she had done at a previous meeting. Of course, if Rosemary West was out to catch the minister, she would catch him. She looked younger than she was, and men thought her pretty. Besides, the West girls had money. It is to be hoped that he won't be so absent-minded as to propose to Ellen by mistake, was the only malicious thing she allowed herself to say to a sympathetic sister Drew. Emmeline bore no further grudge towards Rosemary. When all was said and done, an unencumbered bachelor was far better than a widower with four children. It had been only the glamour of the manse that had temporarily blinded Emmeline's eyes to the better part. A sled with three shrieking occupants sped past Mr. Meredith to the pond. Faith's long curls streamed in the wind, and her laughter rang above that of the others. John Meredith looked after them kindly and longingly. He was glad that his children had such chums as the Blythes, glad that they had so wise and gay and tender a friend as Mrs. Blythe. But they needed something more, and that something more would be supplied when he brought Rosemary West as a bride to the old manse. There was in her a quality essentially maternal. It was Saturday night, and he did not often go cowling on Saturday night, which was supposed to be dedicated to a thoughtful revision of Sunday's sermon. But he had chosen this night, because he had learned that Ellen West was going to be away, and Rosemary would be alone. Often, as he had spent pleasant evenings in the house on the hill, he had never, since that first meeting at the spring, seen Rosemary alone. Ellen had always been there. He did not precisely object to Ellen being there. He liked Ellen West very much, and they were the best of friends. Ellen had an almost masculine understanding, and a sense of humor, which his own shy, hidden appreciation of fun, found very agreeable. He liked her interest in politics and world events. There was no man in the Glen, not even excepting Dr. Blythe, who had a better grasp of such things. I think it is just as well to be interested in things as long as you live, she had said. If you're not, it doesn't seem to me that there is much difference between the quick and the dead. He liked her pleasant, deep, rumply voice, 
He liked the hearty laugh with which she always ended up some jolly and well-told story. She never gave him digs about his children as other Glen women did. She never bored him with local gossip. She had no malice and no pettiness. She was always splendidly sincere. Mr. Meredith, who had picked up Miss Cornelia's way of classifying people, considered that Ellen belonged to the race of Joseph, altogether an admirable woman for a sister-in-law. Nevertheless, a man did not want even the most admirable of women around when he was proposing to another woman. And Ellen was always around. She did not insist on talking to Mr. Meredith herself all the time. She let Rosemary have a fair share of him. Many evenings, indeed, Ellen effaced herself almost totally, sitting back in the corner with St. George in her lap, and letting Mr. Meredith and Rosemary talk and sing and read books together. Sometimes they quite forgot her presence. But if the conversation or choice of duets ever betrayed the least tendency to what Ellen considered philandering, Ellen promptly nipped that tendency in the bud and blotted Rosemary out for the rest of the evening. But not even the grimmest of amiable dragons can altogether prevent a certain subtle language of eye and smile and eloquent silence. And so the minister's courtship progressed, after a fashion. But if it was ever to reach a climax, that climax must come when Ellen was away. And Ellen was so seldom away, especially in winter. She found her own fireside the pleasantest place in the world, she vowed. Gadding had no attraction for her. She was fond of company, but she wanted it at home. Mr. Meredith had almost been driven to the conclusion that he must write to... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.